This episode of Converge with my guest, Scott Stratton, is sponsored by Fastermind Coaching. Fastermind is your personal trainer for you and your business, getting you the kind of real-world results you've been looking for at a price you can afford. For more information, check out fastermindcoaching.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things, and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. When I entered college, I decided to be a marketing major, and I primarily made the decision because the girl in front of me was cute, and she picked the same thing. And then when I got into the game, I found out I was actually okay at this idea of bringing something to market and providing something of value that people would go, oh, that's really cool. I want to pay attention to it, and then eventually buy it. Well, that kind of work seemed interesting for a while until all of a sudden I started to feel dirty. In fact, marketing for me became a dirty word. It felt more like manipulating people to buy things they didn't need as opposed to really creating an authentic exchange. Well, that all changed for me later in life when I ran into a group of professionals who took this industry, this idea of marketing, with a greater sense of humanity over opportunism. And, uh, and it turned out this human approach, this authentic approach, not only made me feel less dirty, but they actually provided a pathway that was actually far more effective than this idea of manipulation. Well, our guest today is Scott Stratton, and he's the author of several best-selling books. Unmarketing is one that many people know about. His most recent book, another bestseller, is Unselling. And he's kind of cornered the market on authenticity marketing, positioning in advance and positioning in response to be the kind of brand that really delivers at core, not just says they're going to and hopefully catches up later. He has been named by Forbes.com as one of the top five social media influencers on Twitter, along with uh, jokers like Ashton Kutcher and P. Diddy and Justin Bieber. And uh, he loves football and tattoos. And he's irreverent at the core. He's also Canadian, and he gets Americans. So uh, without further ado, especially if you're at home and you're listening, you're like, man, I really want to bring my service or my product to market. You guys are in for a treat, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. At the bare minimum of everything... There's no such thing as B2C, B2B. It's just, it's person to person. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Scott, welcome to Converge. No pressure at all. That was a good, in- that was a good intro. Thank you. I will, uh, I will take that and run with it and, uh, uh, proudly Canadian and not passive at all. So we go, we, we buck the trend as well. Yeah. It's funny how that goes. When I was growing up in Canada, when I chose to be more direct rather than passive, I had actually a lot of friends who didn't like that much about me. And then now that I've lived in the U S for a while, now they, they herald it. Like they like that I'm this way and I, I'm still trying to make sense of that phenomenon, but um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about where you've come from. Now, you, you and I have been in conversations for a while. We've known each other for a while now. It's been a, a mm-hmm. treat. And we recently ran into each other at an event we were both speaking at in Boston uh, with Anne Hanley. And I had the chance to, to get into your new book, Unselling, and, uh, that you co-wrote with Allison Kramer and got reacquainted with a lot of the other stuff that you've been doing. Your new podcast that uh, has been picked up. Uh, you're speaking like a madman all over the planet. But 
for those who, who don't know you, and this is their first introduction, can you give us just like a, a 45 second kind of synopsis of what got you from back then to now? Yeah, really, it was just being fed up. It was kind of having the same idea that you did, which was this is just kind of skeezy. That marketing was kind of it was like who could be the the dirtiest? Like who could who could really? It was all about getting your numbers, and whether it was marketing or sales, it was just like we just we got to hit our numbers, hit our targets. I started as a um, a national sales training manager for a company that we I flew around North America training people how to sell bubble wrap. And if you listen to that sentence again, you'll realize how epic that is. <laughs> but it was all about the numbers. And it was all about to, no matter what, you got to get that PO put through, you got to get that sale put through. And then you'd hit that whatever kind of mythical goal was, and you'd celebrate for a day. And then the next year, that would become your floor. Like that's the minimum now, which you were kind of striving and, and busting your ass for now became the floor. And I realized it was just it was just more to that than, than what was going on. And the only stuff I saw out there, the only consulting, the only books, the only talks I saw out there was pretty much how to kick everybody else off the ladder so you could climb it. And I didn't believe in that. I did. I thought that the much better way up was on an elevator, you know, with, with other people. I thought we could, you know, we could help each other that you didn't have to, it wasn't one man and every man for himself. It was that, that we're all in this together that, um, you know, regardless of what it is, we can work off of being a community. Because at the at the bare minimum of everything, there's no such thing as B to C, B to B. It's just it's person to person, and there's we all run off the same thing. We all connect in a lot of the same ways, and I just thought there's a better way than making yourself throw up and then do cold calls. I just thought there was just a better way to do it, and that's where on marketing really started about almost 15 years ago. And and again for context, in addition to that work that you did. You also ran an agency for about a decade too. So you're you're a practitioner in this space. You're not just uh, standing above it. You've been working no. this out for a long, long time. Uh, yeah, I was in the trenches, and uh, I I I made many a logo and many a video, and uh, uh, understood from a creative side of things. And I'm not the creative guy. Like I'm not my I'm not a graphic designer, a visual designer. I I kind of ran the agency. I my, I create ideas create stories. And then we had people who did the the creation part of it. But yeah, right. My agent, the, uh, we called it our, our unagency for almost a decade. And we ran one of the most successful viral video companies in the world at the time. And this was back in the day where before YouTube, uh, before broadband was really adopted at all. So even the videos we made, they were just flash slideshows really, but they had to be kept under a Megan size uh, or nobody would download them. Uh, I've certainly done the trenches side of things. We made 60 client projects in, the, in that time. And uh, um, so I, I've certainly done the work. I haven't come out and said, well, this is what I think. I don't know if it actually works. It certainly was trench uh, worthy. Awesome. Well, well, let's talk about this person to person kind of idea, because I know there's folks on the other end of, who are listening. They might be nodding in agreement, but pragmatically they want to see a, a more specific line of what you mean so maybe taking them in turn I get I get that you're saying there's not a distinction between business to business or business to consumer and can you help play that out specifically like who are the people on the other end so if I'm selling for example an event a conference or a service or a product to an end consumer uh, you're saying that they're I need to speak directly to them. And, and likewise, if I'm speaking to somebody who's going to go sell that event or product or service or whatever it is that they're selling, that they're my audience and I need to speak to them authentically. Is that the frame that we're thinking or, 
or wh- where am I? Yeah, I think I think well, I, I think it's the, the, the obviously there's different specifics when you get to the little idiosyncrasies of each industry, but to me it's more of the differences are within the actual service that's provided, not necessarily that there's just B to B a big huge divide and then B to C that there's actually much more involved in the individual parts of your business because let's take a photographer for example you know our photographers who sell to people is that b2c is that b2b is the person who i hired to shoot our promo shots that uh, were used for the on podcast that are used for the books that are used for my talk headshots is that a b2b business or is that a b2c business what happens if that guy also does weddings what happens like so where we almost want to put ourselves in these pigeonholes when in reality, the reason we've hired these people were almost the same psychological reasons. I just think we're kind of like we, we really throw away a lot of stuff that could really help our business because we think that has nothing to do with us. And I'll give you an example of this. I do. We were talking before we were recording about, you know, me being on the road all the time. And I go, you know, almost about probably about 50 gigs a year, 50 keynotes. And so my audience is not only B2B because people hire me. My neighbor doesn't hire me to speak at his barbecue. Now, mind you, I would do it. That, would be, pretty, pay. that would be pretty great. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. Get a rack of ribs going and I talk to the, I'd hop over the fence. It's fine. But I've never considered myself B2B. I've considered I have people who can hire me. I have clients that I could possibly bring in. But those 40 or 50 gigs, which is 40, 50 transactions in a year, are worth a lot of money to me. But how they found me is through different ways. And they never would have found me in theory if I closed down and simply said, this is a B2B uh, uh, angle. This is a world. As an example, I have one of the most shared video clips of me. I've, it's ever been out there is my QR codes kill kittens rant that you saw in in Boston. Right, right. Um, it's, it writes on YouTube and it's got a hundred and fifty thousand views, uh, which is you know got to be the most views for a speaker clip. You know, one of them in, in, in history on YouTube. But that was shared by people who would never hire me ever, and that's the difference. Is because I just made it a clip. I didn't make it a speaker demo. I didn't put a big kind of font coming in at the start and hire me at the end. I simply shared content. And the content then would 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 um, kind of vet itself through people. So for every thousand people that watched it, maybe one of those people was a B2B a meeting planner or somebody who would hire me. But my neighbor could watch it who would never hire me for their barbecue. And then they would like it and they would share it. But as soon as I made that a B2B content, meaning a front-end intro and a close to it saying what I do and why you want to hire me – they lose immediate interest. So I wanted to create content that was compelling. So so in that creation of content that is compelling, uh, that you are, in a sense, indiscriminate about sharing it, and even without the, the sell involved, like it's a true content share, for the skeptics out there who go, yeah, yeah, I don't see the return on that, or, man, that's a lot of work for maybe hope, <laughs> you know, cross your fingers kind of thing. And, and I get... I, I'm hesitant to ask these questions, but I'm trying to because <laughs> I think I know where you're going to go. But but at the same time, I know folks are listening, and they're, that's what they're thinking. I'm in your head, right. you guys. And if they're honest, they're saying that they haven't kind of had the experience. Uh, and by the way, I just need to reference this. If you guys ever get a chance to hear Scott Stratton in person, you need to take advantage of it. Because even if you come in the most grumpy, the most skeptical, the most whatever, you're going to come out on the other end feeling a lot more human and like you've been given permission to treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. So so with that as a background, for the folks who are saying, yeah, this is a lot of work, but how in the world can you justify creating all that content with fingers crossed that something will come back? Well, I, I just, I've never talked to a successful entrepreneur 
uh, and I've talked to a lot of them, and they've never ever said, you know what, Scott, that was easy. You know, it wasn't a lot of work. It was easy. I just I just kind of started a business and off it went. No, it's it's everything's work, and it's the the key is to create content that doesn't feel like work to you. We've been doing the Unpodcast for a year now. We've done we put out fifty two episodes, and not once was it ever felt like it was a job. It was work. And I think that translates then into the content itself. As soon as you start thinking creating content is work or is a job, you're you're creating the wrong type of content to me. That's why I don't blog every Tuesday because some study told me to. Content can't be viewed as a chore. It's not like that clip is simply a video of somebody who took of me at a conference and I just found a good clip from it and shared it. The podcast where we're looking at not only time now and a commitment, but also a lot of money. And there was no sight of ROI. Why? Because I believe when you put yourself out there in front of in, in front of the world with good content, that it can only help you. That can only reach people that at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it in the long run because you have to have confidence in your own content. I've done a lot of things with no immediate ROI that have paid off greatly, but you can't have that in front of your face. That we would never have put an episode of our podcast out if we had it that way until we lined up sponsors who had never seen the show and had no audience numbers anyways to the point where we spend – just to give you an example of the on podcast, we spend $2,000 in a day. For that show. So we rent a studio, we have a producer, we have a video team with three cameras, we have post production, we have a person who writes up everything afterwards and uploads it. So if we do three or four episodes, that's anywhere from five to seven hundred dollars an episode with no sponsor and with no sell. We're not pitching things on the episodes. I'm not, it's not an easy buy either. We're not, uh, I'm not a consultant. So I'm not going to be hired for um, $500 or $1,000. People hire us. It's a lot of money to do a keynote. And if they buy books, it doesn't, as we all know, authors make you know five cents a book, so right, that's not right. really a, a revenue stream. But we had to have the faith that if we are in front of our target and our audience and the audience in general, something comes out of it. And we, it's the long tail type of thing of content. Content is not a short return on investment. It never has been. So, so really, you're viewing these things, these content contributions or kind of things that you put out there, and especially in this newer context, the thing that CBS got behind as really investments, like you're viewing the long haul investment. A hundred percent. And this is the thing. A lot of people, especially people who are listening right now who are entrepreneurs, maybe you're bootstrapping. And I understand that. And I don't mean to say we spend $2,000 in a day to say this is what you have to do. Obviously, you don't. And you, you can do a show for, for next to nothing. You can do it with a really a fairly well quality for a very low investment amount. We just chose to go that path. The thing is, a lot of entrepreneurs, and that used to be my clients when I used to do consulting were entrepreneurs. And they were anybody from just starting from scratch to, to millions of dollars, but they were the ones who ran the show. And this is the thing the two objections I would get this will either cost a lot or this will take a lot of time. You got to pick one. Which one are you willing to do, right? You either spend the money. Or you spend the time, and that's the, that's the difference. Is we can't we can throw up objections all day. That's going to take a lot of time to, to write a blog or write a white paper or create a, um, a a video or do something. Well, it all does. There's no magic pill in business. There's no magic bean in in, in business. And I, I I know if I had one, I could sell it for a lot of money. But there isn't that. It's creating core content that has an evergreen effect that can stay with you for stay out there for a very long time because you never know when people are coming down that funnel. You never know where they're coming down that funnel, but you got to have it set up in a content way so people who choose to take that next step with you, it's ready for them.
Hey, I've been dying to ask you, uh, have you had a chance to listen to Alex Bloomberg's startup podcast? Yes. So, I, so I'm a big fan of the podcast genre. And recently, actually, I, was, I had uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, who's a common friend of ours. Cliff, shout out to you. Uh, What's up, Cliff? Uh, we both had a chance to, and some, I'm, at least for me, I got to dial my studio in because of his help. And uh, th- that was definitely a great investment on my part. We were talking specifically about like the full spectrum of the ways that people can deliver podcasts or deliver ideas and story. And what do you think about the future of, of podcasting as a genre? Like, I think there's a lot of folks out there that and you included, like you, you took the, to quote Cliff Ravenscraft, like you took it to the next level is an understatement. Mm-hmm. What you and Allison have done together and the way that you parlayed it in tightly with unselling the new book. Talk a little bit about the different distribution channels for great content and where we're at today compared to, say, where we were five years ago. One of the biggest, I think, regrets with us doing the Unpodcast uh, is calling it the Unpodcast. And I, I love it. It it's obviously works with our brand. We're, right. we're, we're the un, unbrand. But then the word podcast uh, is still very polarizing. Hmm. And people see it and say, I don't do that thing. I don't listen. It's it, a podcast. It's, it's just audio. We do the Unpodcast, but it's actually a TV show. Yeah. A radio show, a podcast, a content driver, a, like there's so much to it. And we almost almost pigeonhole it right now with the biases that are around it. And yes, right now is a great time to be doing it because of really because of the, the, the adoption of smartphones and, and content on the go is huge. Yeah. And it's only getting bigger, but we almost label it. You know, that we want to put the on podcast on 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 CBS, on the on on TV, but a lot of people won't turn on a podcast on TV because it's called podcast. And so yeah, there's a debate. I love what's happening. I love what's happening with, with cereal right now. Oh, I love you know, it. not obviously not the, the breakfast food, but the, the show it, the, what I love about cereal is that it's bringing people in who aren't podcast devotees. They're not the, all the religious podcasts, which I love and it's a new world for us. And I love it, but it's bringing, you know, it brings my mom in. <laughs> you know she wants but 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 to her it's 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 like old school radio you know old school radio used to be sequential used to be it's a half hour or so this week there's here's part of the story and next week will be the next we're actually going incredibly way back to what actually endeared people to old school radio before tv to now which was this whole sequential serial type of show when we started podcasting and we i took cliff's um a to z or a to z uh a podcast course and again it's, i agree as well it's a great investment for me and I'm, I'm really glad i did it guy's a genius and doing it though and then talking to people in the industry they told us a few things you have to do which you know is when you don't have to do it that's right but they said right they said you have to do these things scott you've got because everybody came around and put their arm around me and like hey kid you ready for this podcast industry? Here's what you got to do. I've been doing it for 17 years. And here's what you have to do. You've got to have one host. You've got to have a topic. You've got to have a niche, a niche, very focused. And it's got to be a fixed timeline. And you need to have guests. So we have two hosts. We have no time length. We have no guests. We have no focus. And we have no niche. And for us, though, because the point of it was all these rules got in kind of artificially in the way of a lot of people saying what's the best content we can put out and doesn't have to necessarily fit into these silos and the point and we we, i know we have people who are not happy with us now because we signed this deal with cbs and we've been only only been doing it for a year and they've been doing it for years and i said look we didn't care about the rules we cared about the audience and we knew the audience would say look we we i just we just stop when we're done talking i just say thank you very much and we're done 
and there is no time frame for it because nobody's ever listened to a show and, and, and said, you know, you know that oh, it's got to be an hour. You're never, and it's the same rule for podcasts, for books, for products, for content, and for anything you do. That the world is subjective, yeah. and they will give their you their opinion whether they ask for it or not, and that's that. You have to take that all with a grain of salt. You're famous for saying this quote, you don't need social media, but you can be connecting with your clients socially. And that, that reminds me of this notion of like the last thing you just said, which is don't care about the rules, care about the audience. So right. inherent in that, and, and, I, and in my experience of getting into your unselling book, it seems like so much of this is this sense of like knowing who you're talking to and knowing what it is that you uniquely bring to the table, putting it on a silver platter and making it easy for those people to really appreciate and really value and come back as not just a one-time transactional relationship, but this thing right. like people care about. And can you just talk a little bit about this, this notion of, I guess, I guess it, it's a combination of all the work you've done. It's, it's a combination of engagement. It's a combination of really bringing value to people, the unmarketing conversation and on the selling front. Cause I know the folks at home are asking, I'm asking this question, like how in the world can I go find my particular target? I know they're out there. They're talking somewhere, somewhere, somehow, <laughs> but, but right. it seems like this kind of awareness, I guess at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who they, they really do want to do it right. And I know they're kind of screaming at their, you know, smartphone or whatever they're running with or in their car and they're saying like just tell me what to do and i'll do it scott i'll just and and and, and i know you've heard this kind of thing before and there's no there's no shortcut in this but right. but give a principle that people can take okay i can wrap my hands around that and i can get that to work in the next 12 to 18 months well i think one of the biggest things and it's really one of the pillars in unselling is the whole point of understanding the funnel and that it's not actually a lot of times what we think it is anymore. That classically the sales funnel has been, you know, get people into your world and then sell them. And the funnel has changed so much now that a lot, most of the decisions are made before they ever reach you. So our funnel, we call it funnel vision. We focus so much on this, the sales funnel that we don't realize most of the decision is now made in B2B and B2C is made outside of the funnel is made by going, checking things, reading things, reading reviews, reading testimonials, going through content, seeing something on Pinterest and we on Instagram, we go through all that stuff and then we step towards you. So let's give an example of something, let's say you're a, let's say a wedding photographer. And it used to be that people, they would see you at a, at a wedding show, you'd get a referral from somebody, and this is how it worked. And then you'd show them your portfolio, you'd sit them down with a nice leather you know, bound book and we'd walk you through some photos and that's, we're good to go. And nowadays, you know, it's it's a it's an Instagram account, it's a Pinterest page, and they they get shared and they trend and they get moved around. And then once in a while, one of those people is somebody that could potentially hire you, especially if you're geographically kind of imposed in a place that you can't go. You know, you're not necessarily worldwide. If word of mouth is your biggest driver, then give make it easy for people to move the mouths. Whether that means make it easy to share your content on on Pinterest, on Instagram, if you're a visual in a visual world, allow people to sh share a video that's uh, instead of turning off embedding or turning off right click. You know, I, I can't count the number of photographer sites that don't even let me click on the page. And there's a big warning coming up saying, listen, jackass, don't steal my stuff. You're like, I'm not trying to. I want to share it because I love it. And that's the point. We're losing that. We have photographers with flash-based sites still. 
that can't be shared on Pinterest, which is the number one shared visual platform when it comes to a uh, a return on investment per click is, is Pinterest followed closely by Instagram. If we're looking at that side of things, we have to realize that how people are getting into our funnel, are we stopping them in any way? And also realizing what parts of the funnel aren't really a funnel, that social media is an incredible thing. And I love social and I've, I've tweeted 105,000 times to prove it, but it's not a great sales and marketing tool. You don't close a lot of sales in social. You close them off offline. You close them in email. What social does is allow people to get to know you as a person with a portfolio versus a portfolio than you're a person. It sounds like the natural conclusion from all that, if, if social is about a vehicle to get to know, not to get to sell, and it's really an invitation to pull them into to your funnel when they choose it and because you've you've uh, you're, you're living outside the funnel in an integrous, authentic way and it's winsome and when things go sideways, you, you respond humanly, all that stuff happens. It sounds like the job of the of the entrepreneurs to really lengthen the tail. Like I'm guessing right. we'll talk a little bit about that. So, so how does one create enough space in their life where, you know, it gives the, I can afford to be patient. I can afford to put stuff out. Well, it's just that it, the, the thing about marketing and the thing about is that if, if you need money immediately, it's, and you have, you haven't built a company, you haven't built a base. I don't know. I don't know how to say this right, but I, I this never stopped me before. Anyways, <laughs> if you need if you need money right away, and you need to pay the bills right away, and you're you're just starting out in business, it's not a really good time to start a business. Like it's really hard to. There's no quick answer that. I, for I have I am highly unemployable, which is I think what is Latin for entrepreneur. Like you're just highly unemployable, but I, I've nearly declared bankruptcy twice. I've you know lost it all twice. I uh, it is, it's hard, man. It's a lot, and I'm doing I'm doing I, I've never been doing better than I'm doing now. But man, it is a it's a roller coaster, and that's where I know uh, the reason why I joined Twitter years ago was because I wanted to find other business owners because my friends that I hung out with in high school and college all had jobs, and they all got paychecks like every other Friday. I'm like I don't even know what that is. I don't know what you're doing. And they, they get this automatic deposit in their account and off they go. And well, I didn't do that. So it takes time to to nurture a list. It takes time to build that that profile and that portfolio. And if you're saying, well, how do I make money tomorrow? Then you turn into that person who's, you know, trying to sell at all costs yeah, and doing anything for anything. That, that, that pressure is a lot. And I, I just, I launched my first company, my first side of, of doing consulting and managing band. When I managed the band originally, I was, I had a job. Like I worked for somebody and that's how I made a living. And I was also managing the band because you know, bands don't make money, let alone their managers making 20% of nothing. But I learned a hell of a lot and learning on somebody else's dime is much better sometimes than um, deciding whether or not you should be doing a, a Google AdWords promotion or eating. You know, it's a it's a tough spot. And I, I also know that I quit my last job and I had 65 cents in the bank and my son was born the next day. So I also understand the pressure. But where I did with that, I, I maxed out my credit cards and our line of credit at the time because I had to build that base. So there is no magic bean. There is that long tail of content that is just you got to get known. So when somebody's mind pops up and says, you know what, I need a, I need a new logo. I need a designer. Yours is the name that comes up, and that does not happen out of desperation, right? That happens out of communication and community and constant connection with people. So if uh, 
you at home don't want to be that guy or that girl. Yeah, you want to have this kind of long range vision for where you want to go with with the good things that you're making because you guys are making really good things. Please, 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 if you haven't already, do yourself a favor. Go out and get Unselling by uh, Scott Stratton and Allison Kramer. Go out and get Unmarketing. Fantastic book. If you don't want to read, uh, have him read it to you. Uh, there's vehicles mm. for, to do all these things. Don't let those things get in the way, you guys. But I guess last question, uh, Scott, is just, and you really hit home just a second ago, like you're, you're speaking to people directly because I, I know that the full spectrum are on the other end of this these ears. Like they're... There's people who, who are in that kind of bootstrap. They're after mm-hmm. it. Maybe they're leveraged. Maybe they're not. Maybe they've shrunk their economic footprint, so they're making it a little easier on themselves. Right. But but whether they're in that kind of scarcity, desperation, or they're really they have vision for this abundant, like we're gonna we are gonna build something special here. If if you're their like scissor kick cheerleader from Toronto for a second, like what what one line do you like pat on the back and say to them to just keep a mantra in their mind that if they have this, this will be a good kind of guiding principle. Uh, if you believe that business is built on relationships, make building them your business. It's just, it's never failed me. It's never, ever failed me. And it, it, that's what I keep in my, also, uh, you're not the jackass whisperer. So ignore the haters. That's the other one that, that always keeps me going. I have the sticker right in front of me on my computer right now. So, but that's it. You got to believe in relationships. You got to believe in community and, and, and connection. This was episode 042 of Converge, the business of creativity podcast. ConvergePodcast.com is our home where you'll find past episodes as well as Faster Mind Coaching, affordable business coaching for the indie entrepreneur. Get the help you need at FasterMindCoaching.com. Music today provided by TripleSkinMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaid at AcreativeDuckCo for her audio production. And a special thanks to Scott for being with us. Visit him at Unmarketing.com. Finally, I have a request. If you are appreciating what we're doing here at Converge, would you do us a favor and say so over at iTunes? While you're there, check out past conversations with other entrepreneurs like Seth Godin, Chris Gillibo, Ann Hanley, Ryan Holiday, and many, many others. We're really hoping to involve more quality people like you in the conversation. By the way, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a nod that we're doing something right, and it's a really big deal. So thanks. That's it for now. I'm Dan Sanders. I cannot wait until next